Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. Today, we're going to focus once again on methodology matters, which will be, frankly, a good chunk of many of these recordings due to the importance of that relative to being successful at doing this. And today we're going to take kind of an interesting shift because traditionally, of course, when we talk about the five moments and people are thinking about things like at the moment of apply and they think about things like performance support, EPSSs, the reality is that if you truly step back and look at the five moments as a methodology, there are two important parts of that methodology, which is uh, new and more. And those traditionally have been training. One of my favorite parts as a trainer is the important and powerful impact that doing a five moments of need designing for applied methodology can start and the emphasis it can put back on the classroom and how it can make it really a truly remarkable place to begin the journey. So Khan, welcome back. It's good to be back, Bob. Let's talk about this a bit more, my friend. We know that obviously a lot of our talks about apply. That's where we want the shift to be. It's where we should start designing. But at the same time, again, like I said a moment ago, doing that effectively can really have a profound effect on the classroom and what we traditionally have known as is formal learning. So help us, my friend, by defining where we're going with this and this new term, if you will, targeted learning. Okay, well, many years ago, it became clear to me that we were cramming more and more content into the classroom, which created a significant problem. I'm an instructional designer. I believe that methodology does make a difference. And that methodology takes time to execute in any training experience. You've got to have practice. You've got to have feedback. You need to be able to model and demonstrate. And so as we've crammed more and more content in the classroom and then reduced the time that a facilitator or trainer has to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, what happens is methodology really is diminished in the classroom. And so targeted learning came about in an effort to restore the integrity of instruction to classroom or ILT instruction. And then ultimately, it's led to every kind of learning new or learning more instruction. So targeted learning is where we target those skills where the critical impact of failure is significant to catastrophic. And we target those because that's where feedback, that's where what a trainer does better than any other delivery system, trainers can train and observe performance and provide feedback and adapt and adjust. And so targeted learning is where we've reduced the content requirements or the skill development requirements by being able to push those skills where the critical impact of failure isn't significant to catastrophic into the workflow to be learned and where we then target those critical skills. So let's talk a little bit more about new and more, Con, for just a second. I mean, this is something that you for a long time have 
helped us understand that we as instructional designers and developers of formal instruction, be it e-learning or classroom or virtual, is that we really don't understand the true difference between those two. So could we take just a second, even outside of targeted learning, frankly, can we take a second to talk a little bit about, in your opinion, the difference between new and more instruction? Yeah, as you remember, Bob, many years ago, we were in Florida with Chan Chan Lam, our good friend, and having lunch. And across from where we were having lunch, there was a huge pond. And it was beautiful. And I grew up in the country in a little farm community. And I thought, that looks like a great swimming <laughs> hole. Yet nobody was out there swimming. And as we got over close, there was a sign. And all the sign said is, uh, don't feed the alligators. Well... <laughs> It didn't say don't swim, but somehow our contextual experience helped us generalize to an understanding that this isn't somewhere where you would want to swim. Uh, we see that over and over again. So what we have in training is that reality that when people, as they gain greater experience, greater knowledge and contextual experience, then the need for us to discuss and build that context becomes less and less important. They know how it all fits. It's sort of like going and buying a new car. We bought one some time ago, and the sales guy goes, we've got a class for you. I didn't need a class for the car. I've driven lots of cars. They're different. Things are in different places. Some things may function differently, but on the whole... I can step into a car and drive it. And so that's a learn more. Hmm. When you have a lot of contextual experience, even though you may not have experience with that specific piece of software or that specific area of instruction that's going on, because I have context around that, I'm able to learn in a very different way. Best example, I think, Bob, as you recall, is the supervisor training that we did for a client. And in that supervisor training, it was for new supervisors. So you would think, well, it's a learn new, but not really. Everyone coming into that training had been supervised for at least two years in that environment. So they had a lot of experience with supervisors. They knew what was good and what wasn't good. And so in a learn more setting, we're able to jump right into practice, right into experiential learning experiences, and then having a debrief that helps unpack that experience and have some discussions around it. Whereas if it's learn new or I have no contextual, then I have to have some discussion up front to build that contextual understanding mm -hmm. and then moving into practice and then debriefing. And so targeted learning and a learn more situation allows us to bypass a lot of discussion and jump right in to focusing on hmm. uh, doing things and then talking about that doing. And you know, it's interesting, kind of, it, you and I have talked about a lot that when we look at a lot of training, particularly for adults, way more of it is more than new. You know, oh, maybe, yeah. right, because they are adults, because they do have life experience that you're talking about. And although, and I think sometimes in our industry, we're fooled by titles. To your point about the supervisory course, it was called for new supervisors. So there's the word, there's new. So naturally, the thought was to go all the way back to, okay, let's define what a supervisor is in this organization. Well, to your point, Con, everyone had been supervised because one of the requirements was they couldn't attend until they had been a part of the organization for at least two years. 
Yep. So anyone in that room could give you a pretty good definition of what they felt in that organization, in that context, what a good supervisor was. We see the same thing in software. We had these infamous upgrade courses. And so often, because the things were new, the ribbon was new, we had different ways of doing formatting than we had before, we went all the way back to, okay, well, let's talk about what formatting is. Why do you want to format a document? I think an interesting thing for us to look at as designers is we have these templates for structured authoring. You've talked about this for years, Con. So we have that Addy model we follow every time. And if we're going to write a course, be it new or more, in nature, we fire up the same template. We go through the same flow of setup, delivery, follow-up in the design. And we don't bring in the nuance to what you're talking about, tapping into and capitalizing on that experience that learners bring. That is so true. And in reality, we have a a little tool that we've created to help assess the degree that a course is a learn new or learn more. And (laughs) consistently, it's like 60, 70, 80 percent of the courses that organizations are offering are really learn more. And they're using learn new approaches, Mm. which is a waste of time. Mm. It's just unnecessary. So this is an important piece. Huge. And to your point, it changes the effectiveness of the instruction. And obviously, my friend, pivotal to the success of that are instructors. So let's talk a little bit about the role of an instructor. In the new, they tend to be the person that leads. They guide much more because, of course, they are the instructor in the room. They bring that level of experience. Those sitting in front of them have basically no experience, i.e. new. But in this world of more... And to your point, the power of the classroom and things that it can do like no other instructional methodology we have, this idea of targeted learning really changes the role of that individual and the things they use to teach. Yeah, because targeted learning is really where we, as I mentioned, we target those skills where the critical impact of failure is significant, catastrophic. And again, we know over the last 25 years that on the average, about half of the skills that are being crammed into classrooms and into these training events really can be pushed exclusively into the workflow. So Mm. we can reduce the amount of content that needs to be trained to performance significantly, which opens the door, as I mentioned, for us to have much richer instruction around that smaller group of skills that we are targeting. So that richer instruction involves different things. Deeper questioning, more open-ended questioning. It involves more practice. It involves more experiential learning. It involves more trial and error, more failure, learning through failure that, again, in a classroom, candidly, a lot of instructors are uneasy about or a lot of instructors aren't really schooled up on how to do effectively. It's dramatic what we're able to do and accomplish. So targeted learning really saves the classroom. Mm. It saves instruction. Mm. And it allows trainers to have a richer contribution and to make a richer contribution to learning. You know, many of you out there listening use adjunct professors, adjunct instructors. You bring SMEs into it. And candidly, they're very often intimidated by the art of instruction. Whereas the gift they bring to that classroom is their experience. And they're often not allowed to do that. They lecture and they have to pivot off of slides and so on. And this model really helps that adjunct professor or that SME bring 
their SMEness, you know, the, the richness that they're experiencing into that classroom in a really powerful way and lets them have students walk through and learn from the richness of that storytelling and those experiences. You know, targeted learning is made possible by two things. One, by mapping the workflow and create what we call a workflow map so that you can target certain skills and yet at the same time help the learner see where all the skills fit in the grand scheme of things. And so our rapid workflow analysis approach is a vital approach, whether you use that or other task analysis, but you've got to map the workflow. And the second is that you've got to then be able to assess the critical impact of failure. Hmm. And so those two capabilities, though, open the door to our being able to target learning. And let's introduce another principle to our facilitators here. And that's a while back when I was first dipping my toe into this pond and trying this more of a, frankly, performance-centered, experiential, student-centered model. We had a very gifted instructor up in front, had taught the class a thousand times, more typically under a new model than this type we're trying to do here. And that way they were supposed to begin a lesson was a 10-minute setup just to do some very fundamental, to your point, Con, critical things, and then, frankly, shut up. They were supposed to then launch the learners into this deep, rich, experiential trial and error with performance support around them experience. 45 minutes into that lesson, the instructor finally stopped. And when we talked to him and debriefed him later, what he shared with us is the reality was he really didn't understand the role of what we call now ramp up and ramp down and this new role of facilitator versus instructor. So let's talk real quickly about this idea that the reality is we still have instruction over time. And to your point, Con, it's reduced on average by half, but we still have them in this wonderful, rich experience of instruction. Historically, there are two dynamics going on in that classroom outside of content. And that is, in, in one hand, the instructor is guiding, typically very highly guiding throughout the experience. A hand goes up, the instructor feels obligated to respond and help the student. Totally get that. The other dynamic, of course, is the student's ability to support themselves, to leave that classroom with the richness of an EPSS and other tools will give them to stand self-reliant. The problem historically is those dynamics have not shifted. In the traditional new classroom or classroom in general, the instructor has ridden the support role way too long. So in ramp up and down, what we ask the instructor to do is, sure, you start the day highly guiding, the students aren't comfortable. They haven't seen the EPSS yet. They haven't been taught the tools and strategies to be self-reliant. But the instructor intentionally, not happenstance, but written into the curriculum, maybe even in the facilitator guide, and also through the activities, from unguided to guided and, and that type of thing, the instructor intentionally steps back throughout the day from the helping role, shifting it to the learner through the skills they learn by using the EPSS peers that are around them to self-guide. So at the end of the day, that dynamic is completely reversed. Before the class ends, the instructor literally, and we've seen them say this to students, look, I'm not going to help you anymore. Not because I don't want to or not because you wouldn't have questions, but the reality is when you leave this class in an hour or whatever, I do not go with you. All the tools we've given you go with you. So for this last part of the class, although we'll continue to learn, we'll continue to teach, I am not going to answer your questions. You're going to find the answers yourself. And that's how ramp up, ramping the students up and their ability to help themselves, while the instructor ramps themselves down 
out of the support business is so critical to learners surviving when they get back in the workflow. Oh, it is. I mean, this is a great principle that you taught me many years ago, the whole ramp up and ramp down. And for me, it was revolutionary. Because see, learners today need to be dynamic. They need to be rapid, adaptive, and collaborative in how they learn. And that's not just something that happens naturally mm. for everyone. But what we're able to do, because we're targeting learning now, is do just what you say. And that is to grow and develop this capacity to learn dynamically. Mm. And so when learners leave a targeted learning classroom, they've not only learned and focused in on those skills where the critical impact of failure is significant to catastrophic, but they've also learned how to move forward and integrate those skills, all of those skills, into their workflow and have the capacity to continue on as self-reliant, dynamic learners. So let's put a bow around all this, Con. Let's kind of wrap up what you were saying. So if I'm sitting out there and listen to all this, and this is a lot, like many of our podcasts, many of these things are very new to our folks, and we all know that trainers in particular feel, frankly, a bit threatened by five moments. They really wonder what their role becomes. So could you kind of wrap it up for us and why do this at all? Give us a couple things for why targeted learning is so important and a critical part of five moments. Well, Targeted learning allows a trainer to do what a trainer does best. And those capabilities that a trainer brings to a classroom, the ability to adapt, to adjust, the ability to share experience, the ability to provide feedback, the ability to be able to guide people and help them become self-reliant, dynamic learners, all of these things that are very rewarding there's not time to do if you're if all you're doing is presenting content and frankly other delivery systems can present content and they can do it in a dynamic way but what targeted learning does is it highlights and justifies the investment of a facilitator in learning it saves the classroom in terms of making sure that we have methodology in the classroom that makes a difference. And if we are targeting those skills where the critical impact of failure is significant to catastrophic to the organization, my, what an important role that is. So if you want to be fulfilled in your work, if you want to demonstrate to the organization that you have a vital role to play, then you ought to take on targeted learning. That's the only only way long term we're going to be able to sustain that understanding of how vital a trainer is in the learning process. Brilliant. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate, as always, being a part of this. And friends, we'll see you in future podcasts. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.